Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Industry Relations with Rob and Greg. This is your co-host Rob Hahn, and on the other line, I should have Greg Robertson, my other co-host. Greg? Hola, Rob. Hola! <laughs> Konnichiwa. Konnichiwa. I, I made my soap right. on that one. Who knows? <laughs> That's what... Oh, man. So another beautiful day. Another beautiful time for conversations about this beloved industry of ours. Yes, absolutely. So in the last episode, we talked about the MLS. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, again, because you were at Inman, uh, I was at Inman, you know, stuff is happening. But the real action really appears to be happening with the brokers and national franchise space. Uh, I think you wanted to call this one the incumbent wars. So talk yes. to me about that. Like the Clone Wars have begun. I'm not doing a Yoda <laughs> Begun so what has the incumbent wars. wars. Yeah. Well, this comes from just um, Brad has these kind of CEO connects before, right? You know the, the the main show, and a lot of times he kind of like hashes out some stuff, and he gets a lot of interesting guests there, and so he had a lot of people from the bigger kind of brands, the traditional or incumbent brands, right? So right. Realogy and Keller Williams and, and those guys, right? And, yeah. And you could tell that I think these guys, you know, were maybe a little bit blindsided by like Compass coming in and there was a lot of this consternation about the recruiting practices and everything else. But I started to feel that they're kind of getting their feet back underneath them and having a little bit more confidence, right? And okay. And some of the main messages were is that, hey, listen, as incumbents, they have an advantage and they can tell this to agents. What they can tell the agents is like, listen, we have scale. If we see a good idea, right, we can right. take that and we can implement it all over the country. We don't have okay. to kind of – we're not growing from zero, right? Okay. The other thing is is that they also are profitable. So they have a valid business model so that if whatever ideas they implement happens, they, they have the fortitude to kind of carry this through the end. A lot of times I think – Everybody was kind of um, disencompassed without actually saying their name, yeah. right? And then they say that if incumbents decide to play, you know, whatever this new thing, it could be I buy or anything, it's theirs to win. It's theirs to lose, right? If an incumbent actually implements whatever this new thing is correctly, it, it's theirs to lose. They should win just by being a fact that they're the two things. They have scale and they're profitable, right? And then they went down the road of kind of talking about, well, what about Blockbuster and Netflix, right? At one point, Blockbuster had an opportunity to buy Netflix and they turned it down. It says, well, that's because they turned it down, right? If Blockbuster had, had, had indeed acquired Netflix, either mm-hmm. Netflix wouldn't be around or that incumbent, Blockbuster would you know, have taken that over. So they had right. some examples of showing where you may have looked in the past at other places, not uh, other companies like being disruptive. Well, that's because they didn't take that opportunity or they didn't, they didn't recognize that opportunity or they took the opportunity and executed it poorly, right? Right. So the fact that, and again, this is kind of like a dig, I think, towards Compass. What they're saying is there's nothing disruptive about a company spending a lot of money. That's not going to last. They are going to last, right? The incumbents are going to last. And I think obviously their overall kind of big hint or their big nudge nudge is they're talking about the company that's spending a lot of money is Compass. Right. Right. 
and now these companies, and you could look at Remax with their acquisition of Bouge and First.io, and you mm-hmm. look at Keller Williams with their cloud and Realogy with uh, their Ojo kind of thing that they announced. Yeah. They're all kind of adopting these new technology things. They're going to bolster their value proposition to agents. That this, what they're calling, that I was kind of alluding to at the beginning, the incumbent platform wars have begun, right? (laughs) And it's going to be interesting to see what the shakeout of what incumbent, what companies are going to win those platform wars, if any, right? And you could throw... You could throw in there that Redfin has their own platform, and you know it's, it's there's they such a a weird hybrid kind of solution. And you could say that you know Compass, that's exactly what they're driving towards is a platform, right? So, yeah, I mean, that's a little long winded there, but I mean that's that's the kind of vibe here. So, I mean, I get why they said that. I get why they would think those things and why they have to you know sort of represent that. And in particular, the whole scale and profitable language that to me sounds like Ryan Schneider, you know, 110% because he focuses on that like like every earnings call, right? We right. have scale, we have giant scale and we're profitable. And I'm kind of like, okay, so from that standpoint, if the idea is as a result, once the incumbents decide, you know, that's a pretty good idea, they can like do something about it. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, mm-hmm. start with that one. I guess what I'm curious about is, why didn't Kel Williams just acquire OfferPad, right? Instead of doing this, quote, partnership that they did with OfferPad. Right. Let's start there. And I think the answer is because they couldn't. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, and again, we don't know about Kel Williams because they're a private company, right? But Gary Keller is consistently like one of the most powerful people. He talked very famously about we're going to spend a billion dollars on technology because we're a technology company. And I'm kind of like, you obviously thought that iBuyer is a good enough idea that you did this deal with OfferPad and you made this huge announcement and uh, and then your 120,000 agents got all excited about it. If you thought it was a good idea, why not just acquire OfferPad? That's, that's question right. one. Right. You know, your Remax. At one point, Remax thought that Redfin was a good enough idea that they partner with them. Do you remember that? Before the whole Redfin Direct thing and yes. you know, caused a social media storm. Again, if you think Redfin's a good idea, you're Remax, you're an incumbent, you're giant, you have all this footprint, you have scale. Why not just acquire Redfin? Because again, the right. answer is you couldn't. In fact, the reverse is probably more likely, right? Because Redfin's market cap is higher than Remax's market cap. Redfin's stock is liquid because it's it's uh, very often traded. Remax's stock is less liquid. It doesn't have as much trading activity. We know that. Realogy. Realogy has, uh, obviously thinks that iBuyer is a good enough idea that they partner with RealShore and uh, and all of that. Mm-hmm. What's uh, American Home Partners? Is that right? I can't. Yeah, home yeah. Partners of America, yeah. right? Right. So they obviously thought it was a good enough idea that they partnered and they touted it and they talked all about it. I'm kind of like, if you think it's such a great idea and you're Realogy and you have all the scale, why aren't you going and gobbling up Open Door and Compass for that matter, right? If Compass was having a real impact three years ago, I, why not just go, you know what, a little upstart that's uh, starting to really have some traction, let's just acquire you. Why didn't they do that? So, you know, I mean, I get why the incumbents, you know, why the Ryan Schneiders, the Adam Contoses, the Gary Kellers, you know, all these guys have to sort of talk about, we've got the scale, 
we're the giants, we're, you know, like these small startups and, you know, whatever companies spending money loosely, they only exist because we allow them to exist. I get why they have to say that. And I get why they might even think that. I guess what I'm wondering is the evidence from the real world over the last few years doesn't say to me that that's the case. And I don't know if that's because of the impact of venture capital, of outside investors like a soft bank or these private equity funds, you know, just pouring billions of dollars into these companies, or if it's something else, right? So I, I, I'd almost want to start there. Like, show me the money. Like, yeah, it's one thing to acquire Bouge, which was what, like a 16-person company? Like, right. yeah, your, your, your Realogy or Remax, your Kel Williams, yeah, you could go and acquire little startups. That's not sign of, you know, we're the big gorilla, right? We're the big gorilla to me is like Google and Facebook and, you know, like that's big gorilla stuff. Like where Facebook says, hey, this Instagram thing is starting to be a pain. Let's just go acquire them. What do they pay? Like a couple billion? And they just paid it. Like what the hell? We're the big gorilla. So that's the part that I think makes me wonder. Like, Yeah. I mean, I think it, it goes back to, you know, in... Um it goes back to the innovator's dilemma here. I mean, and, mm-hmm. and I know uh, Clayton Christian, he recently um, passed away, which is a bummer. But in this whole thing that talks about how successful, outstanding companies can do everything right and they can still lose their market leadership, right? That's right. Or even or just fail um, right. as kind of new competitors can rise and, and take over the market. And so when you say, well, they think the iBuyer is such a good thing, why didn't they do this? Or they think that you know having a, a, a full-on tech stack background uh, is such a good idea, why didn't they just acquire you know, something substantial? Right. And I think the, the answer to that is like, I'm not sure they really think those things are that thing. Right. You know, if they're a hammer, everything's a nail to them, right? Right. right. So right. maybe it's like, okay, well, we got iBuyer, we got technology, and they're just hoping yeah. to like overcome some objections while they've got a salesperson in front of them to get them to sign. I, yeah. I think, you know, all these iBuyer programs that are coming up, they're, they're not iBuyers. They're not. They're no, not. they're not capitalized like Open Doors. They're not capitalized no. like these other things. They're just, they're a name they put on something. Yeah, to help it's just them, marketing. Yeah, to help them kind of get over, you know, get over an objection they get from a broker or an agent across the table from them, right? So, or it's recruiting and retention, right? right? So and that's why they're not sales. spending the yeah they're not that's yeah. why they're not spending the money. I mean, any real money, as you like to say, right? Right. On on acquiring these kind of things. So, but at the same time, it feels a little different this time. I, it feels like in the past, you know, let's say Realogy bought Zip Realty, right? Because right. there was a perception out there. I think this is right when Compass was coming. Like, oh, these guys are all tech enabled and. Realogy had to show Wall Street, well, you know, we got something too, right? Right. But I think they've been playing this game for a while. Right. But it feels a little different to me now. It feels like it's like it's not the uh, end of everything, but it's the end of the beginning, as somebody said, right? So right. I think that they're seeing some fundamental shifts about how, you know, open doors kind of thing about convenience and certainty in a transaction are resonating with people. Yeah. Right? Of course it is. And and so all these kind of things, and, and you know, if that wasn't bad enough that they got to deal, and I, I, I totally sympathize with these guys. If that wasn't bad enough to deal with, they also got this other guy over here who's got a ton of cash who's just buying market share up. Right. Right. So while they're trying to figure out, what do I do about the consumer 
that looks like they're more going and demanding this type of service. And in the meantime, at my core level of business, you know, I got somebody who's basically selling dollars for 50 cents. Right. <laughs> right. How right. am I going to compete against that guy? Right. So right. it's a squeeze play that they're in right now. But I think all these things are kind of like, they're not cures, but they're kind of, they're medicine that they've been taking to get rid of the symptoms, but not really have found the cure yet. Right. So and I, and maybe, yeah. maybe as in the before, they're hoping that these kind of machinations are, are, are going to tie them over until something else happens where the market turns and some of these models don't make any sense where, you know, mm. whatever that they can kind of make yeah. it to that next level. And these other guys are either going to run out of money or the model that they, the business model that they had just fails and they can go on and whatever they do. It's a bet. Yeah. They're all making yeah. bets here. Right. So uh, let me go off on a bit of a tangent, but I promise yeah. it's relevant. Right. So yeah. my brother works in Korea for Google and uh, I saw him like, you know, two years ago when I was visiting, and we had this very interesting conversation about electric vehicles, right? Because mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, Korea is a small country. Do you know what I mean? It's, a, it's about the size of Vermont, maybe New Jersey. So I remember thinking like, and, and the pollution there is unbelievable. Like people wear masks everywhere because, you know, all that. Thing is, Seoul, the, the biggest city, is just completely jam-packed with cars, right? There's this weird car culture there. So I remember asking him, yeah. Wouldn't Tesla kind of just make so much sense here, right? Like, why isn't Tesla here? And his response was very interesting. What he said was, Tesla is here, but they're getting zero traction. They're getting very little traction. And I was like, why is that? And he says, because the Hyundai, right, uh, you know, Kia, the incumbents in Korean automotive are actually kicking the living shit out of Tesla. Right, and it are they blew my are mind. kicking the living shit on electric vehicles or just yeah. vehicles? Electric vehicles is, but there's got to be some sort of nationalism a bit no, in no, there no. as well. Uh, may, may, maybe, but that was his point. His point was those guys saw Tesla in the U.S., predicted that Tesla would come, and obviously, electric vehicles, you know, electric cars are changing the automotive industry. Right, right. They weren't the first, but they said, you know, we're the incumbents. We're going to get into this business. We're going to start developing cars. So they're you know, a few years late after Tesla. And again, we apparently haven't seen any of these vehicles here in the States. right? They're not exporting. But apparently, that's kind of what he said. And then you know what? It kind of made a lot of sense to me. Give you another example. And, it, it's, and this might be why it's on my mind. If you go on YouTube, look for a uh, – you know, I, I like to look at car reviews on YouTube. Just because mm -hmm. I don't know why. I just fucking love them, right? So these guys called Straight Pipes. They're car reviewers. And they just did a review of the new Genesis G90 out of, uh, out of Korea as well, right? And there's one piece of that I took away. I was like, what the hell? Like, what's that about? What they talked about was the, the new 2020 G90 has this uh, driver assist, lane keep assist thing. Yeah. Right? And apparently, there's a highway version that these guys said is hands down the best self-driving mode, it, it, like of all the brands of all the cars in the world, including Tesla, who sort of invented that thing, right? I mean, do you remember like that whole, this is what we ooh and ah and talk about, ooh, Tesla, self-driving, like that's the big threat. I mean, you know, like Swanepoel talks about it at various conferences and stuff, right? You know how they talk about that? Like a Tesla's the AI 
technology, self-driving cars. And, you know, right now, if you're on a highway, you just take your hands off the wheel yeah, yeah, and no, the car totally, will drive itself. Totally, yeah. What these guys came back with was Genesis. Their system is better than Tesla. It's better than BMW. It's better than anybody else out there. And that kind of came into the same thing. What you know, I'm it's interesting. Is- it, it, the interesting thing you say about this yeah. is kind of really recent. I was out in Phoenix on Monday mm-hmm. and Tuesday. One of the guys that I work with, Damon Alton, who's been in the industry forever, him and his wife just bought a brand new car. They have a young, a young baby girl. Yeah. And it was a Kia Telluride. Yeah, yeah. And it was a pretty kick-ass car. But he says, yeah. let me show you. He was driving me to the airport. He says, check out this self-driving thing. That's right. right? Tell you out of the same system. Yeah. And he, you know, he says, watch this. So we went, we were in the far left lane. He turns it on and it says, okay, you see the curve coming up? It's, you know, pretty substantial. We're on the highway. Yeah. He could only take his hands off the wheel for like a minute before it, it reminded to get it back on. Yeah. But man, I would, you're exactly right. That thing just like, I've never been in a Tesla, so I couldn't compare it, but it took that thing no problem. In, in fact, it drove better than he did. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So, <laughs> I'm saying that to me is when incumbents talk about power of incumbency, you know, because Kia is a humongous, you know, company. Like, you know what I mean? It's like Tesla's yeah. a fraction of Kia size, Hyundai, Kia, especially because they're combined. Those guys came in second, maybe third. You know, they're like, you know, we're late to the party. We're not the innovators. We're incumbents. We're not innovators. Tesla's an innovator. But when we see that something's a good idea, and we say, okay, you know what? That's a great idea. We're, we're getting in. They get the fuck in. And as a result, I'm actually like, Teslas might be in trouble because the incumbents have woken up in the automotive space. So the Kias, the BMWs, the Mercedes-Benzes, like those guys have fully woken up and now they're pu- putting the power of their incumbency. And you know now they're really showing like, this is what it looks like when an incumbent really comes in. Well, I, I, think I haven't seen little- that in real estate. I just yeah. haven't seen that in real estate, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I would say I would put. I think it's it's really offering. If you know, Tesla's doing fucking fantastic. Their stocks like over eight hundred dollars now. And of I course. think a lot of the stuff in Asia, they didn't really launch the Model Three until mid late last year. Yeah. Right. So if you know, you were talking to your brother two years ago. If it yeah. was just the Model S. Yeah, you know, I think that the Model Three is a whole different ball game, right? In, right. in regards to affordability and everything else, so right? Right. I wouldn't count them out there, but um, no, I, I do get your point, though. Yeah, yeah, you get my point. And again, we've seen this in other other spaces as well, right? It, to a point where you know, like the Department of Justice has to get involved, right? Where like some, uh, I'm trying to think of an example because I just remember reading a story about this Amazon Web Services, right? Some mm-hmm. startup out there starts, uh, you know, some cool company that helps, uh, you know, companies leverage the, the AWS infrastructure a little bit better and blah, blah, blah. And they built a, a nice business, you know, a few million bucks. Next thing they know, Amazon says, we're going to deploy the exact same fucking features, like just throughout our cloud and essentially puts them out of business. Right. Right. Like that's the power incumbency, you know, when... I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I, there, I think there are other examples like that throughout just business world where somebody has a clever idea, they innovate, they get to a level of success. No, and, 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 and that matches notice, what – Yeah. Right? And that's – I think that matches what was being said, right? It's like right. if they can execute, 
if they recognize that this is a game changer and they can execute, yeah. then it's the incumbent's game to lose, right? So they should win. Now, but that's a big if. Right. Will they recognize, will they take it seriously right. and make it happen, right? So so getting back to your point, right. I think like with Realogy and some of the, these other guys, they have these IBAR programs only really in name, right? Right. So it might be smarter where you know, that Keller Williams did partner Maybe. with a true eye buyer, right? right. Or, and, and I know that, you know, Redfin has a, they have a duality here with their own Redfin Now thing and also a partnership with Open Door, right? So mm-hmm. there's all sorts of ways that are very interesting to talk about. The other yeah. thing that kind of like, that I found fascinating too about some of the conversation was they had the guy, God, I, I know his name, and I just completely Del spaced Pretty? about it. No, Dale Pretty. I was at that. That's another great. He did a great job. But um, yeah. no. Speaking of the CEO Connect, was the guy who Op City? What was his name? The guy who started Op City, Op City. and oh, that, that was acquired by Realtor.com. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh God, uh, what's his name? I could like see his face. Uh, sorry, yeah. founder of Op City. Yeah. yeah and, apparently, um, you to come on our uh, come on this podcast, yeah. so we, we will never forget your name. Yeah. yeah. And his thing was, and I just, I really had a problem with this because I, I don't, I didn't really believe it, but man, he makes a good case. Yeah. Ben Rubenstein. That's right? it. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And again, he's speaking coming from where he's, you know, what he's selling, right? So this yeah. is probably a bit of a, a confirmation bias, right? But he says that it's starting to get to a point where there's going to be a hop and he's talking about agents, right? A hop from their spear to online leads. And it's not going to be in the future about, so it's a best agent versus right agent thing. But but to me, like the whole thing about real estate has been like, you know, the relationships, yep. your sphere of influence and all that. And he's, he's peddling a whole different thing. It's like, nope, AI, machine learning, everything else is coming where the shift is going to say, no, and it doesn't matter who you put in that seat. There's going to be systems where it's just going to deliver the leads and you do what we say and boom, it happens. Right. Right. And I thought that was kind of like a little bit scary, right? Because right. it is a that is the ultimate kind of Uber platform, right? Right. <laughs> to be out there. It ties into like if these incumbents can kind of like, you know, deliver on that promise, if, if they can like – take their new platforms and, and enable this type of stuff, who their agents know is less less of a, of a deal. Yeah. I mean, I guess so, if they could make that pivot, right? But to your point, I, I think the issue with incumbency in real estate right now is you believe... So I think it, it comes down to sort of fundamental beliefs in a way, right? Do you believe that the traditional way that real estate brokerage has worked for a hundred years. Not actually, it's not a hundred years. It's since the seventies. Like that, that is here to stay. Or do you believe that that is being changed? That's going to change. What I mean by that is, modern real estate in twenty twenty today, I think stems directly from Remax of nineteen seventy four. Agent centric. It's all about the agent, the agent's fear, the agent's work. Agents do all the lead gen. Agents do the marketing, and the broker. You know, really just provides uh, business services to the agent. So therefore, the broker's business is recruiting and retention. I think everything that I've seen from all of the major incumbents still seems to be based on that idea, that recruiting and retention isn't going anywhere. This is the business model. This is what profitability is. 
And therefore, the platforms we develop or all these like little programs, the iBuyers, the this, the that, you know, whatever, it's still fundamentally about recruiting and retention. So I think that's fundamental belief number one. And there's some real good reasons, I think, to believe that because it's worked for, you know, 60 years, right? And there is something to be said for the whole relationship aspect because people do want to do business with people that they like and that they know. So there's some truth, I think, to a lot of that. But fundamental question is, do you believe that or do you believe in something else, right? Do you believe that the future is actually not like Ben Rubenstein is sort of suggesting about the agent, the agent, the agent, the future is about the brokerage, the company, the platform. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So if, if you believe the latter, then I think you're more in the camp of Redfin, Zillow, you know, open door, you know, some of this new crop of disruptors. And I think the incumbents have a decision to make. Which do you believe? Do you believe that recruiting retention, the agent-centric model is here to stay is forever or at least for the next 30 years? Do you know what I mean? Like, do we have another 30 years of that happening? Or, you know, within this decade, do we see a transition over to, you know, platform company, process, AI, big data, whatever you want to call it, where it's no longer about the agent, it's more about the institution? Well, I think it's more about um, if you're saying, you know, the companies you mentioned on the latter part, I mean, Zillow still makes all their money from agents, basically. That's true. They're using agents to buy and sell properties as well, right? That's true. Right? Open Door door is, is also the same way. They are... They also have Asian partnerships and they're using agents to source leads as well. Mm-hmm. So there's still, I mean, whether you want to call it, you know, an agent-centric model or a retain and recruit model, mm-hmm. agents are relevant in both. So far, I haven't seen anything that's been, I guess Redfin would be the the biggest thing because they're employees, right? They're, they're employees, not hiring yeah. yeah, so that that's the outlier is really Redfin. Uh, so let me, let me point out a couple of things. Number one, open door, right? Yeah, they, they do have these partnerships and they pay a referral fee to agents who bring them properties and so on, right? But if you if you look at their business model, every single one of their listings is listed by an open door agent who is an employee of Open Door. That's number one, right? I mean, they'll pay buyer agents. They will pay full cooperative compensation. They're trying to mm-hmm. exist within the industry structure that they that, that we're in right now. But open door has its own agents and its own brokers and they mm-hmm. all of the open door listings go out under that agents uh yeah i mean in agent, a sense right? it is a little bit it is close to like redfin in a sense Correct. that way it's yeah. much closer to redfin yeah. as far as zillow's concerned i think it's relatively clear by now that after rich barton took over they have completely pivoted i don't think it's really that debatable anymore interesting that i have a podcast coming up where i talked to john campbell you know the uh the real estate analyst from stevens I should be able to get that up like Friday because my laptop died yesterday. So <laughs> anyway, uh, but he noted something that's super interesting and I've been talking about it for a while as well, which is that in, in recent times, Zillow has really taken to calling agents their partners, not their customers. And he thought that that was a big deal. I think mm. it's a big deal. And I think we see it like if you like Zillow Unlock last year, big event, they invite thousands of agents. And I kind of remember that too. They were very disciplined about calling their agents partners, right? We are going to partner with you. 
And then to Wall Street, to agents, to uh, you know, marketing, to everything, the consumer is now Zillow's customer. They've been very disciplined about that and very consistent. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying this is going to happen like next quarter, but I think it's pretty clear that Zillow believes that the future is one where the institution matters. Now, are they going to partner with some select number of agents? Of course they are. I don't think they're so, looking so to throw in, the bathwater, right? Yeah, but in, in that way, could you say that Zillow is going to kind of try to recruit and retain the best agents out there? Are it's they, possible, but the I mean, big difference I mean, is- You could look at it so. that way, right? Because I don't think I, so. They don't, want, they don't want to work with just- any agents, agents, right? That's correct. Right. They are. They've. I mean, they've been. They've been doing that. That's been from the beginning, right? So, you could call. They're not going to like. I don't know what the term is, but you are a. You're branded by Zillow as being a Zillow partner agent, and that mm-hmm. not every every agent who's part of Premier Agent can say that, right? right. So there's. Right. It is a level of recruiting and retaining those guys, right? I mean, it's in not a sense. though. It's not at all because the the big difference is leads. Recruiting retention in the traditional brokerage, the the Kell Williams, the Remax, the Realogy world, it's because the business comes from the agent, right? It's the agent's sphere. It's the agent's farm. It's right. The agent. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. With I Zillow, see. Zillow, they're not recruiting and retaining. They're they're doing something different. I mean, I I guess we could actually call it more like like selecting and designating because all the business comes from Zillow, right? So none well, of their- it doesn't. It, do, it doesn't. It doesn't. The, Zillow is still. They're changing their model. They think I've got these leads, and they've been frustrated because the agents are not following up on these leads. That's right. They're not they're delivering not, service. They're not delivering service. And and you know yeah. I've heard from people from Zillow saying the agents are making Zillow look bad, right? right? Which is incredible. So they what they've said. Okay, we're going to pivot to a model where we you know we're not going to get paid until. This is there's a transaction done, and so now they have to kind of find the very best, the very best that they know are going to like take these leads and right. make it happen, right? So, right. you know, so it's 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 still agent centric. No, it's not at all agent centric. So here's the difference it, because agent centric to me and is now, because they've taken. I mean, they still need they still need agents that they may not need agent for leads, but they still need a good agent. Right. right. So that's this is exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying uh, agent centric, where the agent is a service delivery vehicle. Yes, I think that's Open Door. I think that's Zillow. I think that's Redfin. Everybody is like, we want. So a way to think about it is, how do we define best agent? Right. If you're Zillow, you define best agent by the guy who is most responsive, delivers the best service. You know, leaves the client happy. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. th- that's what you're looking for. If you're Realogy, how do you define best agent? You're looking for a top producer. You're looking for the the guy right. who's just generating leads out the ass, right? Now, would you do you want them to deliver good service? Of course you do. I'm not saying you know, Realogy doesn't care about. I'm not saying any of those things. But fact of the matter is, if you look at the fundamental business alignment, business models, at the end of the day, NRT doesn't. They don't get paid for good service. They get paid for lead generation. They get paid because the agent goes out and closes a deal, right? If that consumer is not particularly enthused or excited, it doesn't affect them. Whereas Zillow, it absolutely does. But what about on the other side? I mean, doesn't Zillow want agents to bring them buyers to, well, I guess, you know, with a portal. Right. 
they're getting a buyer and it's a matter of somebody helping that transaction happen. That and I think for, for on that side of things, Zillow doesn't, I mean, they're a member of the MLS, right? All of their things are listed in the MLS. So, you know, agents going to- Through agents. Yeah, through agents. And they don't they don't care. But but thing is, Zillow's not working with or selecting those agents. The buyer is, right? So right. Zillow's institutional brand is not implicated in that. Zillow's institutional brand is implicated in who's representing Zillow. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the fundamental mm. difference between sort of the traditional incumbents and the kind of the disruptors. And, uh, I, you know, maybe that needs to get spelled out. So I don't know that I need to hear more about like Realogy or Remax or Kelly. We have all the scale. We have 125,000 agents. Like, yeah, I know you do. But, you know, what I want to hear more about is do you fundamentally believe that uh, – well, I don't know what's a good time frame. Say it's the next 10 years, right? In the next 10 years – Fundamentally, it's going to be about the individual agent and their relationship with with customers and consumers that is going to remain in place. Or do you believe fundamentally that institutions are going to take that role? I'm in the letter camp. I think in the next 10 years, we're going to see things shift pretty dramatically toward the institution matters a great deal to consumers. And I don't think it's going to be about the individual agent. Right Now, let me caveat that and explain that a little bit because I no longer view agent teams as agents. I view agent teams as institutions, as companies. And from that perspective, there's no doubt in my mind, the future of real estate the next 10 years is going to be 100% institution dominated. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a weird thing where a lot of, you know, Zillow works with a lot of teams. That's right. Right. That's so it's right. like institution and institution. <laughs> how do you like, how do you yeah. kind of... No, but that happens, right? You know, uh, like Kia Genesis, they don't work with Joe Random, you know, who wants to sell a car on eBay. They work with dealerships. Do you know I mean? They work with companies. And I, I could see the exact sort of same thing happen in real estate. And it's one of the underlying things around the, the fall of traditional brokerage, right? So, you know, some of the things I've been predicting, like agent teams are the greatest threat to brokerage. I've said that in 19, like no, 2012, I think. And uh, people are like, what, are you, what the hell are you talking about? Well, I think it's now coming to be coming to fruition, right? So yeah, I, I actually think the future of real estate is going to be dominated by agent teams. And you know, if the platforms that these guys like Keller Williams and whatever are building, you know, if it helps anybody, it helps the agent team, right? I mean, I don't see it any other way. Yeah, I don't know because to me, these agent teams, they always seem to be very independent and correct. they want their own marketing stack. They want that's their correct. own tech stack. So I don't know if, if that's helping the incumbents out who are spending right. a lot of resources and money towards building their own and which, tech right. stacks. And which is why I stack. think the whole tech stack strategy is doomed. You know, And I've said that for a while and pissed people off, but it's, it's because of that whole agent team interaction. So I guess another way to think about it is, all right. So Keller's pivot to a tech company right. is doomed. Is what you're I think saying. so. I think right. so because, okay, you've pivoted. Now, the, let me let me take the back. Keller Williams might be uniquely positioned not to be doomed because, you know, Keller Williams has some of the biggest agent teams in the industry, right? But those agent teams were kind of, you know, uh, raised within the Keller Williams, you know, uh, environment, right? In fact, Keller Williams is the company that like really introduced the modern agent team to the industry. So, 
it may be that those guys stick around. They use Keller Williams' platform and their technology because of the loyalty and everything else, right? I mean, I think that's entirely possible. The Keller Williams, because of their particular culture, is the only one that could, uh, you know, maybe make it all work for them. But take Remax as to me as a better example, right? Remax. So the question I would ask is, all right, Remax now has this bouge platform. Everyone says it's really hot. It's sexy. This, that, and the other thing. If you take, you know, an agent that's relatively new, say two years in the business, did two transactions last year, and you put her on Bouge, you put her on the Remax platform, is she going to take market share away from the local dominant agent team with like 50 agents, you know, <laughs> like their own platform, right. uh, you know, spending uh, $70,000 a month on online leads, right? Whether it's Zillow or OpCity or somebody else. And they've got, you know, like they have all this resource. Is she going to beat them? I don't right. know, right? But I feel like all these tech platform strategies essentially are premised upon the notion that because we have this platform, that individual, you know, uh, like soccer mom is going to be able to contend with some of these dominant agent teams in local markets. I just don't see it happening. I just don't, right? You know, for all these CEOs and companies that have spent all this money here, I mean, yeah, there's got to be some positive thing here, man. I mean, the thing is, I don't think they're spending it thinking that you know, uh, you know, onesie Susie is going to beat the, the the dominant agent team. I think they're spending it saying we need to spend this in order to do recruiting and retention because they're still stuck in the recruiting and retention world, right? The post remax recruiting retention, whether you're successful or not, it's it's all dependent upon the number of agents you have. And I'm like, what if the world has moved on? What if we're in a different environment completely now? Yeah, I mean the the, the agent stuff. I mean that's another thing that people were kind of like really agreeing on. And I just it, I just had a counterintuitive notion about was agent. You know that in the future, I think you said this as well that mm -hmm. there's going to be far less agents. In the future, right? I, I I can't see it any other way. Yeah, yeah. And but, I'm but, not look the only one but, but let's look at it right now. Yeah. From what I remember, agent count would go up when unemployment went up. Yeah. Which made a little bit of sense, right? Yeah. Because they're out of a job. They get, real estate is one of those things. Okay, let me try real estate, right? But if you talk to NAR right now, unemployment is is historic lows, right. and NAR's membership has never been bigger. That's and true. keeps rising. That's true. And that just to me is like that flies in the notion of a lot of precepts we had in the past about unemployment and agent count. So are we getting the other part of this wrong where, you know, that in the future there's going to be less agents because of whatever other narrative we're spinning? Well, so let, let's put it differently. I, I don't think that in the future we're going to have necessarily fewer agents. I think the whole point to me is – we're going to have production be concentrated in the hands of a very few. Well, that's <laughs> few is less, dude. I don't. I but think you're no, what I mean, no you could have a bunch of people who have a license, right? But uh -huh. how many years are they going to keep paying MLS fees and association dues before they go? You know, I haven't made a fucking dime. I can't compete. Well, that's a little bit now, right? I mean, we talk it's about a, now. Maybe right. it's an eighty twenty rule. Maybe in the future it's a ninety five five, right? Well, most saying? people are saying it's ninety ten. But you know, this was something I wrote recently based on feedback from a top agent team guy. And he made an interesting point too, which said, he said, look, I mean, most of the agent teams in my market are like really poorly run, 
right? Because they're operate they're owned and operated by a bunch of salespeople. They're owned and operated by somebody who was a good agent, right? Did a bunch of leads, you know, got some relationships, you know, have a bunch of listings, and they're like, I'm going to go hire a buyer's agent. And a lot of the team leaders, you know, if these are his words, not mine. His words were they're fucking morons, right? When it comes to how do you run and operate a business. Mm. His view is he's going to win because he is not a moron. He, you know, knows what he's doing and knows how to run a business. And as a result, he's going to like literally crush the living shit out of some of the agent teams in his market. He has zero fear of any individual agent. He's like, yeah, you know, they'll do their four deals, you know, with like mom, you know, cousin, uncle, whatever, right? But if you have that type of market concentration, I don't even think it's 95.5. I think that it comes down to like, how many agents do we actually need in the United States to do five and a half million transactions? Right, right. No, it's always that's right. always the, the metric. Right, yeah. and I'm not the only one. I mean, I've heard from people who are involved in things like leadership at major state associations talking about we need to have contingency plans for when our membership falls to 20% of what it is today. And it's not because of Zillow. It's not because of Redfin. It's not because of any of that. It's because- Almost to 20% of what it is today? That's 20% crazy. of what- like yeah. This is a contingency planning that they're talking about, right? And there are a lot of voices out there that are saying, you know, we could see realtors being like 400,000 by the end of this decade. Again, not because of licensing law changes, not because of anything else. It's just because do you have these dominant institutions that are going to take the, like the vast majority, the, the, the lion's share of the transactions- so it really drives the incentive for some unemployed, you know, Uber driver, right, to be like, I'm going to go be a realtor, right? In fact, like a lot of them, I think, are just going to say, you know, I make more money driving for Uber. Why the hell am I paying my MLS a thousand dollars a year, you know, to do nothing? So I think that's the natural market force, and I think these big incumbents need to figure out, like, okay, so what's the idea here, right? Is the idea that you're going to outlast and outsurvive like the other big incumbents? You know, when the number of realtors falls to 400,000, like, yeah, well, we're going to have 100,000 of them because we have this tech platform. If, if that's the idea, that's cool. I mean, I get it. But I think what I kind of come back to is let's fundamentally look at what do you believe? Do you believe that the next 10 years, next 20 years, next 30 years, we're still going to be operating in the post-REMAX agent-centric model? Or are we operating in something new where it's all about the institution, the company, the, the you know that sort of thing, the brand? Yeah, and and I'll say this, and uh, maybe wrap up with this yeah, on yeah. your side. It's I still have my bets on humans. It's always going to be on humans, of course. Of <laughs> it's course. not going to be the robots. It's not going to be. Of course. Maybe they're bionic humans, but um, oh, of course, you know. And and I don't see that big. A, there's maybe there's a drop, but um. No, but yeah. I mean, Asian teams yeah. are humans, right? Sure, yeah. You know, right. I, but I just don't. I don't see ever there being one dominant platform that's like going to Uberize this whole thing, and and that's I guess where. I'm, Do you think it I'm could be two? From. Yeah, uh, I don't know, man. I mean, it's just maybe three. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, you know, Uber is a good interesting example. We have Uber and Lyft. There's no third. Well, yeah, the, the only right. reason Lyft is around is because Uber screwed up. But yeah. <laughs> All right, but what about travel, right? I mean, I know it's, there's like not, hundreds not, of yeah. travel websites, but really we're talking about Travelocity, right? Yeah, but uh, that's, again, I, I hate to say this, but it's, Expedia. you know, buying a house isn't, isn't like buying an airline ticket. I mean, right? No, so. but I, I'm just talking about platforms, 
right? Platforms. Not, not, I'm not saying there's you know, just one company. I'm saying we could have 200,000 agents, but they're all going to be using like two platforms. Right. I mean, I think that's a real possibility. And those 200,000 agents will all be team leaders you know, or we're working on a team, right? Yeah. That's the future. And I think to a certain extent, I, I, the incumbents haven't figured that piece out yet. Well, just like every episode of uh, Industry Relations, we, we bring more questions than answers for That everybody. is true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we should have a guest come on with some answers, right? Perfect. Yeah. And I, I think I have the perfect person in mind. Um, and so I'll talk to you about it offline. But uh, All right. hey, in the well, meantime- I think we're out of time. So once again, Greg, thank you for this opportunity. This it's just it's just awesome. You know, we'll just, just keep going and going. Yeah, and uh, thank you to our listeners for listening to us. Because otherwise, why would we do this, right? Yeah, thank you guys. And again, as I say always at the end of these podcasts, if you could go on to wherever you get po- your podcast from, let's say iTunes, and give us a good review, give us a five star rating if you like the stuff. Email us, you know, directly. The, the yeah. that information will be on the site. Um, if you got any uh, suggestions or comments or anything else, uh, any good or bad, we really appreciate it. But yeah, go on there and make a comment, make a review on the site. Give us a good, give us a good review. That really helps us out on the rankings for the podcast. Thank right you. On. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you next time. Late. All right. Bye.